Okay. <laughs> Wasn't going to say that, Tom. <laughs> hey, good morning. Welcome. So thankful that we're here to worship together. And thank you for those who are online on our website or Facebook or YouTube. We believe that uh, all true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. And my prayer this morning is we don't come here because of a certain person preaching or a certain person singing. We come because the Spirit of God is drawing us to himself. It says that as Jesus is lifted high, that God will draw all men to himself. And I believe this morning God is drawing us. He's inviting us to himself. And he, he is the one we need. You don't need me. You don't need these songs. You need God. Our job here this morning is just to point to him and his glory because he is worthy of worship. And nothing brings more joy to his heart than to see his people, his sons and daughters worshiping him with all their hearts, with all their strength, with everything they have worshiping him. And I believe that uh, there's nothing greater that we can do as people than to be worshipers of God. So this morning, as we continue through Isaiah, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, I wish that we could go verse by verse through the entire book of Isaiah, but uh, we would be here in the meadow for a couple years. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going to uh, transition out of Isaiah before the snow flies. So we're, we're taking it in sections, but here's my encouragement to you. My prayer is that this time that we spend together, just an, an hour on a Sunday morning, would, would be a spark in your life, that, that God would ignite a fire in your heart to discover his word and his truth. And so I want to invite you, uh, read Isaiah on your own. Uh, go deeper. Dig in. Get together with a few other people in a small community or with a few other co-workers and, and talk about it and, and, and ask God to reveal to you the truth of Isaiah. Because as you do that, um, God will bring transformation. <laughs> his word will never, ever not bring transformation. It always brings transformation. It always brings about his glory and our good in our lives. So I, I want to invite you to go deeper, but we're, we're doing larger sections because we want to capture some of the themes because I think this is an important time for us to understand the message of Isaiah. So this morning we're in chapter 6 and 7 of this amazing book. And in a minute we're going to read uh, chapter 6. We won't read chapter 7, but I first want to say something as introduction before we read. And um, do you like stories? I, I love stories. <laughs> I think every person loves a good story. That's why we have so many books and so many movies. And, uh, and we, we enjoy a good story. And a, a story is important. And it frames so much of how we view life and how we view reality. And it's really important in a story to understand the characters, who's involved and, and what their role is in the story. And, and I'm sure like many of you, I've sat down to watch a movie and, it's, and, and a creative writer will, will kind of create some tension of figuring out who, who's the main character, like who's the good person, who's the bad person, who, where, what's the conflict. And so a good story creates some, some tension. And I think it's really important that we understand that God has revealed himself in a story. And the Bible is a, is a grand story. <laughs> it's the story of of, of all things, I believe. And we have to understand this story because so many people uh, come to the Bible with a, a misunderstanding of what is our role in the story. If you don't believe me, uh, how many of you have been around a, a, a two-year-old? I've had three two-year-olds. <laughs> and 
if you don't have your own kids and maybe you have some nieces or nephews or, or some neighbor kids or, or friends who have kids and, and you just spend some time with a two-year-old, you will discover that uh, the story that a two-year-old understands is that everything is about them. <laughs> and if they don't get their way, they're very frustrated very quick and they don't withhold their feelings or their uh, desire to be at the center of all things. Their needs are front and center in everything. I call this the God impulse. And I think it's in all of us. We, there's something in us that wants to be the center of all things. And we get pretty good as we get older of kind of hiding uh, that in our lives. And uh, we no longer throw tantra tantrums. We, uh, we're, we're better at hiding that desire that we have to be the center of everything. But this God impulse is a strong thing. And it's powerful in our lives. And it's a difficult thing sometimes to address in our lives. And I think if we come to the story of the Bible, and in particular the story of Isaiah, it's confronting that God impulse in all of us. Um, I enjoy history. And uh, in 1609, there was a man named Galileo. And uh, he started tinkering. And I love the creativity and the desire to discover that God has put in humanity. And, and he began to gaze up into the heavens with a telescope. And the prevailing idea was that the whole universe rotated around the earth. That humanity and the earth was at the very center of the universe. Uh, does that sound like a two-year-old? <laughs> you know, it's all about me. It's all about us. And what Galileo discovered, and he was a man of faith. He believed in God. He, he had a strong understanding of God and his glory. But as he began to gaze in the heavens, he began to understand that the teaching, the prevailing idea that the earth was at the center of everything was wrong. He discovered that the earth actually rotated around the sun. And the sun was just a small star in an in a ever-expanding galaxy. And he could see the expanse. And he began to say, you know what? Uh, we're really not at the center of everything. <laughs> and that made some people mad. In fact, it made a lot of religious people mad. It made uh, the church at that time angry, some of the leaders, because they did not understand the story that God has revealed. Because if you read the Bible, and if you read Isaiah, you discover that we're confronted with this reality that we're not at the center of the story. <laughs> There's someone else at the center of the story, and we're going to read about that this morning. And so if you open your Bibles or go on your phones to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So I want to invite you to think about this, these words. In fact, we haven't done this for a while. Would you be willing to stand in honor of God's word? In the year that King Isaiah died. Now, I want to pause there. This is significant because remember, Isaiah is preaching as a prophet in a time of great turmoil, great division. The northern kingdom of Israel has been separated from the southern kingdom of Judah. And so there's civil war. And Uzziah had been king for 40 plus years, and he had been a very successful king. In fact, it, Judah was in a very good place financially, spiritually, but he had died of leprosy. And so there was this time of confusion, of wondering, what's going to happen next? Uncertainty. And I can imagine Isaiah is wondering, what's going to happen now that Uzziah has died? And look at where God takes him. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
And above him were seraphim, and each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs, seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin has been atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isn't that interesting that God refers to him as us? <laughs> it's beautiful. And I said, Here I am. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused and make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie in ruin and without any inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, until the fields are ruined and ravished, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land and it will be laid waste, but as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. You may be seated. I can relate to uh, Isaiah in the sense that it can feel pretty good to be on a stage and talk to people, but it's also a very dangerous place to be. And uh, if you remember, over the first five chapters, God had given a strong message to Isaiah, uh, a message of judgment a message of warning, of, of sin, the reality that the land of Israel was a place of a lot of corruption, a lot of sin, a lot of false worship. There was a lot of harm being done to other people, and Isaiah had to bring this message. And, and I, I think all of us can relate to this. It, it feels pretty good to feel right, to, to be able to look at someone else and say, you know what, they're not quite right. And, and, and somehow we can be tempted to think, but I am. I'm okay. And I don't think this just relates to preachers. I think all of us can have this sense that we like to be right. <laughs> we like to feel like somehow we uh, got it figured out, but, but those people don't quite have it right. And Jesus referred this, to this as judgment. In fact, he said very strongly, he said, do not judge. And the reason I think he had to say that is because he knew we were really good at it. <laughs> and as people who walk with God and have faith, we can tend to become prideful. And that's a problem. And I love that when God called Isaiah, he addressed that in Isaiah's life. Because when Isaiah came before God, he didn't get a pat on the back. He didn't get a message from God saying, good job, Isaiah, keep it up. In fact, he came before God, and what was he saying? He's saying, woe to me. I am ruined. You see, there's three things that we got to understand about God. We have to be careful that we don't try to fit God into our story. 
because we can do that so easy. But here's the three things that we got to learn about God, that God that's revealed to us this morning through Isaiah chapter 6. First, that God is on the throne. <laughs> do you see that? That's the first thing that God reveals to Isaiah, that the Lord is high and exalted and seated on the throne. Seated on the throne. You see, that God impulse on all of us, we, we secretly and, and sometimes not so secretly want to be on the throne. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to get things right the way we see it, the way we think it should go. That's why we get so bent out of shape when our expectations aren't met. That's what happens all the time in marriage and parenting and workplace, right? We have bent expectations. It happens everywhere we look. But Isaiah needed a, a new frame of reference for the story. Who's at the center of the story? It's God. He is on the throne. He's exalted. He's in control. He's in charge. He is the one who is at the center of it all. And he's glorious. He's majestic. He's beautiful. It says his robe filled the temple. And so it's this picture of majesty, of beauty, of glory. And so we have to understand that, that God is at the center of it all. In fact, the whole Bible is a story about God. <laughs> He's the primary character. He's the primary mover and shaker. He is the one who is revealing himself and his glory. And so when we begin to see ourselves and see all of human history in that frame of reference, it changes things. It's revolutionary. Just like in Galileo's, Galileo's day, it it changed how we thought about ourselves. It changed how we thought about humanity. And this is the same kind of thing as we look and see that God is on the throne. Isn't that good news in a time of uncertainty? <laughs> in a time where we don't know what's going to happen in the future, just like in Isaiah's day? In a time where we wonder, are things going to turn out? Isaiah, I'm sure, had all those same questions. And then God revealed to him, he's on the throne. <laughs> he's high and he's exalted. The second thing we learn in this chapter is that God is holy. And the seraphims, these angels, as they are flying around, they're calling. They're, they're basically in a worship service, right? They're, 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 they're rejoicing and praising this God who's seated on the throne and is exalted. And they say, holy, holy, holy. And I think it's so beautiful and, 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 and incredible that here even in Isaiah, there's this hint, this insight that God is, is more than just a singular entity, that he has revealed himself as three, as a holy trinity. And we see that in these words of God is holy. And I think that's so important for us because we love looking for glory, for good things. We, we do all kinds of things to look for it. We, we spend our money. We, we, we go to concerts. We go places. We travel. We, we look for experiences that somehow bring about something different, something new. That's what holiness means. It's something different, separate, more beautiful, more uh, precious, more, uh, more adventurous than anything that we could ever imagine. And it's good. The holiness of God is good. It's not terrible. It's good. And that's why you see here with the seraphims as they're calling out to one, to one each other, there's a, a sense of joy and there's a sense of respect and there's a sense of awe as they highlight the holiness of God. 
You know, as, as people, we're always looking for something holy. <laughs> we're always looking for a better experience or, or something that will, will arouse something in us. But what's so sad for us as humans is we, we pursue all these things, but they always leave us empty. And so what Isaiah is discovering is that it's in the holiness of God that fully we are satisfied. Because it is in the holy, holiness of God that we become complete. We be made, we're made whole. And so every longing, every desire that stirs within your heart is a longing for the holiness of God. <laughs> and that's what's being revealed to Isaiah. And that, that's what Isaiah is sharing with us today. That God's on the throne. That he is holy. And then the third thing that we are understanding about God as the center of all history, as the center of the universe, the center of everything that is, we learn that God does not condemn, but he saves. <laughs> he saves. Because look at Isaiah when he encounters the glory of God, the holiness of God. He realizes his true state. He understands the sinfulness of his heart. And he understands that he cannot come into the presence of God as he is. That something's got to change. There needs to be a transformation in his heart. And I would assume that he thought, like we think every day, many of us wake up in the morning, we just think, I'm not good enough. So many of us look at the mistakes and the pain in our lives, and we, 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 we hate ourselves, or we hate things that have happened, and we condemn ourselves. And out of that self-condemnation comes condemnation towards others. And so much of the hurt and the wrong in our world comes out of condemnation, does it not? Towards ourselves, towards others. And I'm sure that Isaiah, as he realized the true state of his heart, of his life before the glory and the holiness of God, that he realized that something had to change. And I think he probably fully expected to be struck down <laughs> and destroyed at that moment. But something surprising happens. God does not destroy him. God does not strike him down. In fact, just the opposite God does something beautiful. He goes to the altar, the place of worship, and he provides a coal, and he brings it to his lips, and he purifies, and he refines, and he makes whole, and he makes new. And what does he say? Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. What a beautiful message from a glorious God. You see, there is so much wrong in this world. There is so much wrong in our hearts. And God knows that. But here's the beautiful thing. He still loves us. Just like I know my kids aren't perfect. I see all the wrong behaviors, their wrong tendencies, and it's kind of convicting because so much of what's wrong in them I see in myself carried out in their lives as well. But here's the good news. I love my kids with all my heart, and I would gladly lay my life down for them. And I think about that, and I think that's how God thinks about us. He looks at us, not pointing his finger to squash us, condemn us. He wants to save us, and he wants to make us whole. And he wants us to be part of his story. And so the invitation here isn't just to say, okay, this life isn't about us, so then we're nothing. No, the, the, the invitation is to see that God is at the center of the story. He's the Lord of all. He's on the throne. He is holy. But because of his nature and his character of goodness, 
He atones for our sin. He makes a way for us to come into his holiness. And then he includes us in the story with an important role. We're not just second best in his eyes. He loves us. <laughs> he is for us. He's for you. And he calls Isaiah to a holy purpose, a holy calling, a beautiful life of service. Because when he says, who will go for me? Isaiah is raptured by not only God's holiness and that he's on the throne, but the fact that God did not strike him down, but he actually saved him and made him whole and healed him and restored him and lifted him up. And now he's like, I want to serve that kind of God. I want to be with that kind of God. This is what I've been longing for. This is what I want. I want to be with him. I want to be part of his story. And so when God says, who will go for us? Isaiah raises his hand. He says, pick me. Pick me. I pray that all of us will get to that point in our lives where we'll raise our hands and say, God, pick me. I want to be part of your story. I remember so clearly when in my life I got to that point when God began to expose, like Isaiah, so much sin in my heart, so much wrong, so much judgment, so much selfishness. I thought life was about me. But God in his mercy brought me to my knees. He brought me to a place in a, in a cornfield in Nebraska. No one around where he brought me to this place where I just realized I was totally ruined without God. And I wanted him in my life more than anything else. I was desperate for him. And what I encountered was what Isaiah encountered, that instead of judgment, I received mercy. I received grace. And my heart was flooded with love. And again and again, I've come to that point in my life where I've had to confess my sin and realize when I get off track and I say, God, it's not about me. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on me. And again and again, I encounter his love and his grace and his invitation to come and be part of his story, to be part of his glory. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the deepest satisfaction I've ever experienced in my life is when I come into the presence of God. And I know so many of you have experienced that. So many of you who are sitting here today are here because you've encountered the glory of God, the holiness of God. You've encountered him on his throne, and even more importantly, you've encountered him in his salvation, in his invitation, where he cleanses us of our sin, and our guilt is taken away, and we're made new and whole. That's why Jesus came. He came for one purpose, and I love this in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the next verse is very important. It says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Do you believe that? Isaiah believed that. And that's why he said, pick me. And I pray that all of us today would say, God, pick me. I want to be part of your story. I don't want my life to be just about me and what I can accomplish. Because we have an example in chapter 7. Because after King Uzziah came another king named Ahaz. And Ahaz wasn't like Uzziah. Uzziah worshipped God. He, he wanted to God to be glorified through his life. But Ahaz, we're told, chose differently. Because he heard the message of Isaiah 
He heard that God was on his throne. He heard that God was holy, holy, holy. And he heard that God didn't condemn, but he saved. But he responded very differently than Isaiah. And so here we have a story being laid out of two people. And then we have the nation of Israel that this story is being shared with. And then we have us today who is also hearing the story. And we have a choice. Because Ahaz heard all this about God, but he had a problem. He had a political problem because the northern Israel was gaining strength and they were aligning themselves with Syria. They had made some political alliances. And he said, what am I going to do to solve this problem? I got to protect the people. But he didn't listen to the message of Isaiah. He went to Assyria because he said, I don't like the Assyrians. They're not good people, but, but they're strong and they'll protect us. They'll take care of us. And I just want to say, it's easy for us to judge Ahaz and say, well, listen to Isaiah. Turn to God. Trust God. Why did you do that? But how many of us in our time of need and time of uncertainty have put our trust in something else besides God? How many of us have turned to a bottle, maybe to a refrigerator, maybe to our checkbooks, or we've turned to some kind of other power, some other kind of thing that we think will help us, will save us, will rescue us. And we just say, God, I'm just going to put you aside for a little while because I got to take care of this problem. How many of us run to something else besides God? How many of us put our faith in someone or something else besides God? All of us are like Ahaz, but it's not too late because <laughs> this is what I love about God. Because <laughs> even though some of us choose like Isaiah, to come and raise our hands and say, pick me, I want to receive from you. I'm yours, I'm your servant. And even though some of us are like Ahaz and we put our fist up to God and we say, no God, either way, God is going to accomplish his purpose because in Isaiah chapter seven is one of the most beautiful promises in verse 14. And God says he's going to give a sign even though Ahaz doesn't trust God. He says, God is going to do something. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will do something. The Lord himself will work despite your strain, despite your lack of trust, despite what you've done. This is what God will do. He will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. This is what God does when Ahaz runs God pursues him and says, I want to be with you. I'm going to do something. And, and I believe that Isaiah was written for that day and that time. This is a specific God, a miracle that God's going to do in, in, in Ahaz's day and Isaiah's day. But we know the story was bigger than Ahaz. <laughs> and it's bigger than Isaiah. There's a bigger story because God's at the center. And this is fulfilled much later when Jesus is born in Bethlehem to a virgin. And we see the pursuit of God of humanity. God doesn't throw us away. He doesn't walk away from us. It's like the prodigal son where the father's waiting and he comes running with his arms open and says, son, you were lost, but now you are found. Oh, the father is waiting for his children to come to him, to receive what only he can give, to do what only he can do in our lives. So I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this. I know God's on the throne. 
And I know that he is holy. And I know that he doesn't condemn you, but he invites you to his salvation, to his healing, to his restoration. And I know that the story is big (laughs) because Isaiah wrote this and he had no idea what God was going to do. But he received the promise of God. And I believe that today we have the promise of God that Jesus came into this world to save this world. And we look around at the darkness and the chaos and everything that's happening around us and we can easily despair. We can easily try to run to other things to save us. But I know with all my heart, with all my passion, everything in me says we need to turn to God because he's enough. He can do something that we can't even imagine. He can do something in your life individually. He could do something in us as a people. God is big, and he's at the center of the story. He's glorious. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up, and I want to end reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because Paul had a similar encounter as Isaiah, and this applies directly to us. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. You see, God has brought us into a story. If you've raised your hand and said, pick me, you are a servant of the Lord. You are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. There's no pretension. There's no pride. We understand who God is. We understand who we are. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you every opportunity to take pride in us so that we can answer those who take pride in what is seen than rather what is in the heart. This is a warning. Let's not be judgmental. Let's not be so righteous in of ourselves that we think we got it right. We have to come to God. If we are out in our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. Our lips have been touched. We've been made whole. We've been made new because Jesus came down and he died on the cross and he made us new. He forgave our sins. Our sins are as far as the east and the west. We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. It's not about us. It's not about us. There's a bigger story but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, it's a reordering of our lives. Our lives aren't pursuing the next thing. Our lives are pursuing God. From now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. <laughs> we have a part in the story. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God and God who made him to be no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. Let's worship him.